0: tennis show presented by Hector and Toby. Hello
1: and welcome to the Line Call podcast with me, Toby, and my co-host Hector. How you doing, mate? I'm
0: good, thanks, mate. My uh, my voice could be a little bit better, but I'm gonna give it my best shot. Rough weekend? Rough
1: weekend. <laughs> you absolutely love it. Okay, and welcome to our brand new tennis podcast where we're just going to be chatting sort of everything tennis. Both of us big tennis fans and we just bought you know why not? Let's turn it into a into a podcast. Let 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 us do it. So, um, um, a little bit, a little bit about me. Very recreational tennis player. You know, absolutely love playing it, and know only really recently got to the game on the back of Emma Raducanu's success at the U.S. Open last year, and been hooked ever since. Uh, Hector, you've been a fan for a bit longer than that, haven't you, mate?
0: A little bit longer, not too long though. I'd probably say you know we all we all saw Murray win Wimbledon, being a sort of a casual uk tennis fan you always have wimbledon on but um yeah i think probably 2019 was when i first started really getting into it watching the masters events realizing that there are masters events atp 250 500s it's not just wimbledon basically (laughs) um but yeah we um yeah we love it really and we talk about it so much anyway so we thought you know why not record our thoughts even just for a a bit of
1: enjoyment for us. In this episode, we will be re- recapping, breaking down the Miami Open just finished on Sunday. We're recording this on Monday here, Monday the fourth of April. The main headline here is that young man, that young Spanish man, Carlos Alcaraz. What a player, Hector! I know you're a huge fan. You've been on him on the on his hype train for a little while now, haven't you, mate?
0: I mean, yeah. How can you not be from winning? His first match in Rio de Janeiro in over three hours against Alba Ramos. Been the last one was sixteen. You just watch that and you think, what's he going to do next? It's it's a couple of years and he's done a lot of growing and now we're here and I just can believe it. I can and I want to and I am and it's happening.
1: I mean the stats are just crazy. Like the stats just. Everywhere, it's, you know, he's the youngest top 20 player since 1993. He's the youngest ever ATP 500 champion, the youngest ever Miami Masters champion, the third youngest Masters champion in history. Actually, a surprise one, I thought he's the first Spanish player to win Miami, which was surprising considering
0: I did not know that.
1: No, they're actually. Spanish players 0 and 8. I mean, considering the yeah. huge, um, huge support um, the kind of Spanish South American players were getting at Miami and always get because of the large uh, Hispanic population there. You know, you would have thought they would have um, had a winner before, but again, you know, just so many stats this young guy is broken, and he's he's just. I mean, even more than the stats, he's just fantastic to watch, isn't it? He?
0: Oh, he's he's so exciting to watch, and I think one of the things that you to watching him is the fact that he's got everything i think when a young player comes along usually they're usually really good at one thing and they win matches that way whereas he has multiple ways to win matches you know think about his you know drop shot his speed like just the way he utilizes the drop shot the disguise the technique it's just brilliant he has multiple ways to win and he uses those and he just doesn't he just does not let go.
1: That drop shot was so good all tournament actually. Like it was leading up to the final. I mean, I know watching that final, it wasn't actually used to that much success. Rude was quite good at picking them, and Gowcrass wasn't playing the best drop shots. But leading up to the final, he won fifty-one of fifty-nine points on drop shots attempted. It's just because I think opponents just are scared off by not scared off, but you know you have to, you have to be aware of how hard he hits the ball and yep. the angles he hits on the ball. So his ability, like you say, to disguise that drop shop as well. Scary. So many skills he possesses, like people are going mental on Twitter, like, Oh, he's got everything the big free have. And it's just, <laughs> you know, some people are like, Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself, but I t- like, looking ahead from now, like who's going to stop him? Who's going to beat him? Realistically, like he played, you know, so many rude. Who's, was, uh, had a fantastic tournament. He played her catch. He's playing really well. He battered sit to pass in, in what was a great game. And, I think for me from that final was, I really didn't think Al was playing his best tennis in that final. I really think he wasn't, you know, he could have played a lot better. He left, you know, a lot of unforced errors, especially towards the beginning of the game. What was impressive for me in that final was he he dropped down early, free love, 4-1 down in that first set, and he relies on his drop shot, so that wasn't working, but He was able to sort of kind of work it out, stay calm, stay composed. And for for an 18-year-old man, it's just incredible for him to turn it around. From being 4-1 down in that first set, he then won nine of the next 10 games to go up 3-0 in in the second after winning the first set 7-5. It's just quite something, isn't he, really?
0: He, He really is. And I mean, I like what you said about he wasn't playing well, yet he still won that's how you can tell I think that you've really got someone special on your hands really because this is a Masters 1000 final He's both of their first finals you can get a bit nervous that was probably what was happening at the start why he went 4-1 down maybe the same with Rude as well but he he just didn't have to bring his top level and if, and if and when he does at these big matches as you said who can stop him because you know, you, you, you have that lazy assumption of oh, Spanish player, clay, you know, that's their surface. I feel like you can just take on anyone, any surface. I'm really interested to see him on grass, actually. Really interested. If he's doing this well on hard court already, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to translate it.
1: These Miami courts were, I think, a bit slower. They were a bit stickier than y- yes. than your average hard court, which probably did lend itself a bit more to these clay court players so you know even Indian Wales and, and, and those other tournaments at uh, the US Open last year of course against past it's no he's ridiculous his power is unreal
0: and you forget the consistency that he's bringing as well because I think usually with with younger players it's they you know, struggle physically or you know he or I don't know what it is he's 18 years old technically he's still a child well no he's not technically still a child he's just a basically an adult and uh, he leaves you speechless sometimes because of what you see him do on the court and I just can't wait to see more of it if you could see smile on my face right now yeah I mean I'm, I'm very excited very excited indeed I think as I was saying his consistency he got to the semi-finals of Indian Worlds before this and then he goes and wins Miami just, just to have the, the goal to do that and to actually believe in yourself, you can tell the way he nods at his, coaching team, when he's winning these points, when he's doing it, he knows he can do it, and he believes, and he's just, you can just see the belief just radiate from him.
1: And he's such a, he just seems like such a nice bloke as well, doesn't he? Like his whole demeanour and his, um, his sportsmanship, it's just. <laughs> There really isn't anything to dislike about him, is there?
0: No, 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 not for me, not personally. I don't, you'd you'd have to go out of your way to try and find something or just have no reason because, yeah, as you say, he seems like such a nice, kind person, great sportsman and um, 22 years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, real shades of Rafa Nadal, isn't it? Oh, um, of course. But, you know, you can't compare him to Rafa. Rafa is Rafa, but... Who knows what Carlos Acaris is gonna be. I think maybe you did a disservice to Carlos Acaras if you compare him to Rafa, but maybe okay, maybe I'm speaking too soon. Okay, so sp- but um I mean now we're talking about that Miami final and his opponent, Casper Rude, who has been um, you know, pretty much overshadowed because of crisis brilliance. I mean no one really gave Rude a chance going to that final. You know, Rude's a higher-ranked player, but everyone was backing Alcaraz and the fans were there for Alcaraz. But, you know, Rude had a pretty brilliant week as well, if you think about it. You know, it was his first was 1000 final. He was, um, I think he was previously 0-3 in Masters semi-finals before, so it was his first time getting to that stage. That win in the quarterfinals finals against Zverev was... Probably his biggest win to date, I would say. That was a huge win in three sets there, especially to the come back after the slump in the second set was where Zverev won 6-1. So he's really impressed me with his forehand and his serve this week. His serving was really efficient. He doesn't have the biggest serve on the tour or whatever, but he was winning at one stage over 90% of his service games. You know, it seems like a really tough player to, uh, to break down. And this season, last season... Big improvement on hard courts, really. Um, yep. He was someone who's probably known as more of a kind of clay court specialist. Maybe to Nick Kyrgios. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, you know, the stats backed up as well. Prior to the 2021 season, he had only won 38 games and lost 34 games on hard courts at 53% win rate. But since the start of 2021... Brood is 24 and nine on hard court, so he's up that to 73% win rate, including his first title, which he won in San Diego last year. I mean, last year he had a brilliant year in general. You know, he rose from 27 in the world up to eight in the world, got to the semi-finals at the Nitto ATP Tour Finals. And finished with five titles, which was I think tied second for most on the tour. And he had fifty-seven wins, which was ranked third on the tour. Now, after this Miami final, he's got to he's up to a career ranking of seven, and he's just really impressed so far. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does heading into this clay court season. Now he has a you know title to defend in Geneva. He got to semi-finals in Monte Carlo, Madrid, and Munich, so he's got quite a few points to defend. You know, playing the way he is at the moment, there's no reason why he can't continue.
0: I mean. Yeah, as you say, he. I think because of all of the excitement around Alcaraz, he has sort of been overshadowed. It's his first Masters 1000 final and you'd imagine that coming on clay, sort of similar to um, Dominic Team in the way that he won his first Masters 1000 title on hard court in Indian Wells. Everyone thought, oh, you know, he's, he's got to get there with the clay. And he did, Team did the same thing with his first Grand Slam. On, uh, on hard court the US Open and maybe this is the way that it's going for, um, for Ruud, which I think is a great thing to again sort of prove your versatility and I think when you get put in a box as a clay court player um, I think sometimes it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy for some players and I don't think they have the belief and the confidence they can do it on those other surfaces but he's showing that he can and a career high of seven. He's 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 just smashing all the uh all the Norwegian records.
1: <laughs> First ever Norwegian to break the top ten of his ranking at the moment. I, I don't know, especially when you compare him to Alcaraz, whose ceiling is just there is no ceiling for Alcaraz, there's, is there? None. but for Rude, I don't <laughs> looking at the players above him, I don't really know how much further he can go. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd probably back him to kind of overtake Berrettini maybe, but. You know, he's just overtaken Rublev actually in the rankings, it's, but I probably think Rublev's a bit better than Rude and that that top five I just don't see as being uh, it's a budge. Yeah. Really like, it's so packed at the top there, isn't it?
0: I, f- I feel exactly the same with, with Rublev, the one he's just overtaken. I feel like he's just got he's got one speed. It's hitting winners from all over the court. If that doesn't work, it's kinda game over. I don't feel that way about Rude, but I also agree with you that where is their pushing room up in those ranks? I don't see who who he could overtake. I see who he could be better than on the day, but consistently, I I don't know. It's really really difficult one.
1: You see, he's um, pulled out of Houston this week because of Oh
0: really?
1: Yeah, with um, wisdom tooth pain.
0: Wow, that is that's interesting. I mean, we've we've been seeing quite a few. Um, you know, sort of niggling injuries. And it definitely seems like more than normal. I think maybe because it's concentrated at the top as well, with obviously the world number two and the world number three out for a couple of months in the men's game, Nadal and Medvedev. And yeah, it's kind of, I think that sort of gives some of the other players um, room to, you know, to, to to get some more points. And because Djokovic hasn't been able to go play as well, um. yeah, it's just, it's op- it's opening up for everyone else, and and one man that we did see make a massive leap this week is uh, Francisco Sarundolo.
1: Definitely a big mover this week, someone who wasn't on a lot of radars probably heading into the week, definitely not on my radar, but he's the biggest mover of the week. He's gone up 52 places, he's broken to the top 100, moved up from 103... Up to fifty-one in the world, incredible run, really, to the semi-finals. You could probably argue it was pretty fortuitous the way he got there. Both Riley Pelka in the second round and Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals both retired against him, so two kind of walkover victories there. But I mean, for someone I guess similar to Rude, who Serinello is definitely known as a kind of clay, uh, sorry, clay court specialist. For this week, Serinello only had thirteen wins on hard courts in his seven years since turning pro. And this week he got five wins on hardcore. So he has 209 wins on clay and he's only had, and now he's got total 18 wins on hardcore. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he lost at, a, he lost round one Indian Wales. He lost round one Phoenix challenger this year. He lost round one at the Australian Open. He's had no luck on the hard courts this year. So for him to turn it around and have this incredible run here at Miami is pretty incredible.
0: First eighty wins main
1: draw hardcore and he gets to the semis to be fair he's had an impressive start to 2022 so far 21 wins on the year um, some decent runs in his kind of home South American tournaments he got to the semi-finals at Rio um, lost to Diego Schwartzman, um, and he got to the quarter-finals at Buenos Aires um, where he also lost to Diego Schwartzman that time in the quarter-finals <laughs> You know, but you know he beat Ketchmanovich in both those tournaments. He's got a, a challenger title at Santa Cruz. Like a pretty decent year so far, and you know you you can only play the draw that's in front of you. So definitely a fantastic week. Probably the best week of his career.
0: One hundred percent
1: and you know i enjoyed watching him i loved seeing the big argentinian support um, those those times are going pretty mental so that was definitely entertaining to watch you know he's just built himself great momentum heading into the clay court season definitely one to watch out for and i think looking at his live rankings now he's already broken the top 50 so the only way is up for him really isn't it
0: i mean also you've got to think about what this difference in ranking does for him so he was out of the top 100 and now in in the next year he's going to be or around definitely lower than top 50 you know, if he keeps going this direction that allows him to get into grand slams that allows him to not have to qualify for these atp 250 events and sometimes 500s he might get some wild cards People start to know his name he starts to get endorsements sponsorships this is a massive thing and to just catapult yourself you know from 100 103 in the world to top 50 that just doesn't really happen i think the last time we saw that happen was with Aslan Karatsev, at the Australian Open last year, it takes one of these massive runs.
1: Anyone who particularly impressed you this week?
0: Someone who really impressed me this week was um, Miriam Kaczmanovic. He really put, I think, the best fight up against Salgras.
1: Would you say Al-Grasse. that was um it was probably match of the tournament, wasn't it? That uh, that quarterfinal.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, de- they were just going for it. And they were making the shots as well and I, I like the fact that again coming back to that self belief ketsmanovich didn't cow to the challenge he, he didn't cower to the challenge you know he he said you know you got it i got it let's have it it was literally like a boxing match i yeah the, some of, some of the blows in in that match were just absolutely amazing the, the rallies the speed um i just i just thought it was really, it was massively impressive from him final final set tie break um right down to the wire i mean he 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 came within winning two points within winning that match twice and um you know he he can't walk off that court with his with his head down you know because he came within two points of winning against Person who no one really can seem to win against at the moment,
1: unless it's Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had some great wins the whole week. He, he beat um, Indian Wales champion Taylor Fritz um, after he lost to him actually a, in the Indian Wales little revenge game. Love yep. to see it. Uh, he beat uh, Felix, Felix Auger-Aliassime. He beat uh, Sebastian Corder. Like These are some decent victories. Big, big um, wins. He moved up ten places in the rankings, uh to match his previous career high 38 in the world. He's really impressed, actually. Like he was a player who who actually, looking back at his stats, struggled last year. Um, you know, he started 2021, 42 in the world, and by January 2022, he had dropped down to 78 in the world. He didn't actually win a main draw match at fifteen of the twenty-six tournaments he entered last year. <laughs> he finished with a record 17 wins, 27 losses. So you know, on paper, it doesn't look like he's had a good year, but actually, he, in February 2021, he joined forces with his new coach, uh, former World number 3, David, now Bandit. You know, it looks like it was maybe a bit of a teething period last year, like as they're trying to get on the same page, work on his style, but it looks like that hard work's really paid off this year. You know, fourth round at the Australian Open. Um, obviously he took Djokovic's place in the draw there in terms of the seeding, so probably a little bit easier, but still, fourth round at Year at a slam can't complain. quarterfinal final at Rio, quarterfinal at Santiago, and Indian Wells and Miami. He is twelve on four, twelve and four in hard courts this year. Um, a big improvement on the last couple of years. It's just again a player, a young player who's probably again overshadowed by Alcaraz. People are going to think, oh, Alcaraz is a, is the young up and coming player. But there's actually so many on the tour, and again, he's just got such room for growth and. Due to his playing style, he's one of those players you think probably can keep keep rising, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think the point about the Australian Open as well, where he took Djokovic's position and effectively became the number one seed. I think that really made a massive difference for him confidence-wise. If you look at his results last year, coming into this season fresh, he gets that break. And I think that's all he needed, really. I think, as you say, a teething period with his new coach, not really new anymore, David Narbandian. Um, yeah, he just he just got a little bit of a run on. He got some confidence. And then I, th- I think he, at the ranking he is, 38 in the world. When I look at a player and I look at their ranking, I have an idea in my head of what they're capable of and where they should be. And I felt that was the right place for him. When when I saw his name come up in draws, you know, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, Ketsmanovic quarters semis probably winning the odd 250 that sort of thing but not really going to be challenging at the bigger tournaments um and i think he's really making some inroads and it is a testament just to sort of sticking with the coach and i think going through something new and i think he really really has that that drive to want to do well and I'm just excited to see where it goes because he he is quite a physical specimen, actually, when you look I at mean,
1: him. Yeah, he is. I mean, he hits the ball hard. He, you know, he places it deep in the corners. He's a really kind of clean strike of the ball, but he also absorbs the pace of the opponent's ball really well. I mean, he's solid on both forehand and backhand. Um, people say he's got quite a similar backhand to Djokovic, who he trains with quite a lot, his, um, his fellow compatriot, So... Um, People even comparing him to Davidenko with his uh, kind of powerful, clean baseline hitting.
0: Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of the uh, Davidenko backhand.
1: Yeah, big so fan. It's um, I mean, it's just really impressive, and more so, even more so, it's just enjoyable to watch, isn't it?
0: it? It really is. It's just it's really enjoyable to watch, and I think just obviously the hype train around Alcaraz, I think him just going for it. If if one or two points went the other way. It could have been his match, you know. It just he just he just stood up to him, and that, it was just great to watch. He didn't care what anyone thought. And obviously, I think Perez had the the majority of support from the crowd in any match he played this week purely because of just the hype about it. But he stood up to it, and yeah, there's there's a lot more to see from this young man.
1: I think next we probably have to move on to former world number one, current world number two, Daniel Medvedev. Um, latest news with him he's going to be out for the next one to two months as he revealed he'll need surgery on a small hernia um, which is obviously a shame, you don't like to see the best players in the world having to miss time and his place at the French Open is at risk, Um, it really depends how quickly he recovers Um, he's going to miss some big tournaments, he's going to miss Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome, Barcelona Um, and he's probably set to lose some ground on Djokovic as well I mean He's got the defend some points. He got to the semi-finals at Carlo, and he got to the final at Barcelona last year. Um, And he was so close to reclaiming that number one spot again, wasn't he? Um He had to beat Hercatch in that quarterfinal. He had to reach the semis. Yep. Then he would have reclaimed that world well, number one.
0: 10 points, there's a difference now in the live rankings. Really? 10, 10 points,
1: points, is that it? i got to say, I think Hercatch probably deserved that victory in that game.
0: 100%. 100%. I mean... I in, in my predictions I had Medvedev going out before this point. I said to myself, you know, if he, if he does get that far and faces her catch, I think he's going to take him out purely because Medvedev doesn't he doesn't really cope well in the heat, the heat and the humidity, and her catch that is his perfect. Yeah, he loves it. He absolutely loves it in America because he, he he lives and trains in Miami. So with um, I mean
1: yeah, Medvedev was saying he was. Uh... He was suffering with cramp during the game. Um, he put it in a very meditative fashion. Mm. He, uh, he felt like a fish on the sofa. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't we all? Yeah, it's, yeah uh, the, the that's, fish. What, that's one way of describing uh, having cramp. But um, you know, the media. I think the media keep trying to build this narrative that he's he's suffering with nerves and he's. Um, that's what's holding him back from getting world well number one, but I don't think it was. I, I, I actually just thought he was he was outplayed um, yep. in in that game, and I think Kerckhove deserved to get through to the semi-finals. Um, I think I think Medvedev struggled a little bit on those kind of slower, stickier courts, um, and. You know, he was complaining about the quality of the balls. <laughs> um, it was funny. Did you see when it was, there was one changeover? He just stared straight at the camera who was filming him, and he just and he went, "Never ever advise anyone to buy this ball. It's a piece of garbage. You're just going to lose your money." That's what he said, <laughs> straight to the camera, like kind of I uh, love, breaking the four four So funny, actually. I love how he does that. And I mean, when
0: are the fish comparisons going to stop? Dead fish, the U.S. Open. Hot fish now. Dead fish. What
1: What's it going to be next? That's your go to celebration as it well, is, isn't you is absolutely absolutely love it? It is my go to FIFA celebration. When, if, score a goal. <laughs> Not against me, mate. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, on, on the topic of Medvedev, I think it's just uh, on top of all this stuff about um, well, number one and stuff, I just think it's so tough being a Russian athlete at the moment with all everything going on in the world. I mean, I don't want to get too too political or anything but you know recently reports have emerged saying uh British sports minister Nigel Huddleston has indicated that Medvedev or any other Russian athlete will need to sign an anti-Vladimir Putin form to be allowed to play at Wimbledon this year um which I think is just a bit of a bit of a joke that you're kind of punishing players by putting them you know between a rock and a hard place um of course you want to play at Wimbledon it's it's Wimbledon um especially Medvedev, who went out in the fourth round last year against Hubie, so he's got some points to, to kind of gain there. But, you know, to force them to publicly denounce their uh, their state leader, Putin, I mean, with that guy's kind of attitude, that's uh, Could be dangerous. It could be dangerous. it mean, I think it's a hard way to cry. I mean, obviously, you have to understand that for change to happen, people need to stand up, people need to say stuff, people need to be brave. But I I, I don't really see this as the platform where... Um, mm. they have to do it I mean elite sports stars do have a huge kind of sphere of influence but you know you can't essentially back him into a corner and say you know you can't play or we're gonna confiscate your right to play at these tournaments um, I think personally I think it's, a, it, it's it's not really something the UK government should be asking them to do I mean it's not it's not really got anything to do Medvedev it's just the fact that he's Russian um, but I guess again it's like goes back to that kind of sphere of influence and 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 I guess when you're someone who has that kind of power and influence as Medvedev does as a world renowned athlete you know what does he have to do how much does he have to do but to be forced into doing it I don't think I think's all right really mm. what do you think
0: I mean that's uh, I I didn't know that actually that's that's a really interesting point and I think um <clears throat> this whole terrible situation that's happening at the moment I think it's probably given us all a little bit of perspective as well and I think um if if that idea does end up you know sort of working and um it does you know get it get it more out there with with these people you know signing and, and denouncing it it's it doesn't really seem necessary purely because it's kind of obvious that everyone does denounce it. They were denouncing him before this happened. So to do it now, after... Everyone knows what's happening. It's it's a war and it's tragic and it's horrible. I I don't really feel, as you say, by doing that, I don't know what there is to, to gain from Absolutely. it.
1: Absolutely, definitely. What What is there to gain? You know, he's not going around saying he's pro-war, pro-Putin. Um, I don't think that you should make sports stars make political stances. There's nothing wrong with, with with them doing it. I think you know there's been criticism of sports stars in the past for making um, political stances like taking the knee and such. But I think they definitely have the right to do that. And if they feel that they should use their platform to, to spread that message, then they should. But I don't think that they should be forced to do it otherwise or have their right to play confiscated i i i think that is um really kind of unnecessary and like you say there's there's nothing to gain
0: exactly i mean there's there's literally i don't really see i mean everyone knows that it's happening and i think you know the world's making a great effort to make it less painful for the country and the residents of the country you know but there's just nothing... I don't think there's anything to gain from making everyone do it. It's not a choice. It's Wimbledon. Mm. It's not It's not a choice at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and I think maybe an argument for it would be, why wouldn't you say it? Because if you've not got something to hide, if you don't say it, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. But I think, yeah, it just comes back to the... Um, I
1: mean, yeah, there's a difference between just saying it and having to sign a form to publicly denounce him. Like, it's just... It's just too kind of political, or kind of yeah. I just, don't know. It just kind of I,
0: seems unnecessary. But it's I'm not a fan of that. It's it's or an interesting by point
1: the, uh, by the government. Um, I think moving on to player again, he didn't have a, necessarily a bad week, but a player who's probably not necessarily having a great year um, is uh, Alexander Zverev. Um, I'm personally not a fan of the man yourself.
0: Um, not really. No, I, I think you know. There's a few things you could say about him. He's an amazing tennis player, but I just think personally, um, personality, just to watch. I don't know. You, you, you know. I think everyone knows. You've heard accusations about him, but before the accusations, you know of the um, domestic abuse. No,
1: we'll yeah, we'll get onto that. Um,
0: even before that, haven't that really been his mm. biggest fan?
1: I mean, ironically, he actually does move up. Um, into third in the rankings. Um, overtaken Rafa. Um, last year I think he actually only got to the second round of uh, Miami. So, even getting to the quarterfinals was a was a bit of a gainer. And then obviously no Rafa at this Miami, so that helped bird in the world. Doesn't really look like it. Um, mm. he's fourteen and five this year uh, with his record. He's actually got less wins against top ten players than Alcaraz does.
0: Wow, that's a great. That's, stat That's a
1: pretty cool stat. Uh, he's only reached one final this year. Montpellier lost to Bublik last year. He won six titles. I mean, he doesn't really seem on, on track to win six titles again this year. Um, I mean, he didn't look 100% in that loss to Rude in the quarterfinals. He had tape on the neck. He was documented having problems with it. Um, but I think Zarev actually got outserved by Rude this game. Um, I think Rude, you know, Rude had never actually beaten Zarev before um lost at two, lost to lost him in cincinnati and paris last year um and even rude said um, i think i've seen sasha play better than he did today and he just took advantage of it so um i don't know what's up with zverev this year um similar to i guess the australian open and indian wells where he just didn't bring his best um seems like the stuff going on and like you kind of pointed to earlier um, I think one thing to note is that um, the day before his loss to casper Rood here in Miami, um, there was the reports that um, uh, it was 17 months after making her initial accusations, um, Olga Sharapova had finally been contacted um, for the ATP investigation into Alexander Zverev. For the first time. 17 months after the initial complaint and that happened the day before his thing to ruse so and maybe mm-hmm. that was something that was on the back of his mind um i mean all of this investigation is just so messy and murky and you know people have you know players have come to how kind of the ATP have kind of brushed it under the carpet um uh, i mean looking further into what is now going to be an investigation um there was this um reporter I follow on Twitter, Ben Rothenberg. He reported that um the investigator hired by the ATP had actually listed no relevant expertise in investigating domestic abuse in the past. Um and it just seems like uh, A, how's it taken so long for anything to be searched into it? B, why is why has he just been allowed to carry on playing in in the sense that he has since then and even though they finally kind of got into it a year and a half later, the investigation does it seem like anything's going to actually happen with it? Yep, it seems very unlikely to me.
0: I mean, it it just doesn't it just doesn't look it doesn't look great purely because it doesn't really you know give give a voice to um, to d- to domestic violence because even even if he is innocent, you, you you could at least mention it and, and say it's wrong. You know, but he hasn't. I think he's just concerned about probably himself. A lot of people are in, you know, in these situations. If he is innocent, you know, you know, you could you could at least just say domestic abuse is wrong, domestic violence is wrong. That's that's something. Um, we won't know until it's investigated, but they just need to they just need to get on with it. I think in any other situation, it would be done a while ago, and the fact. That it's not being done and it's literally just being sw- swept under the carpet. Doesn't look good, does not look good. It, it, it tells, it sort of you know says to people out there, you know, it's okay, it's all right. The whole point of having these investigations is to show people that it can't be swept under the carpet and that they can feel safe. And if it can't be, you know, right at the top
1: of a sport where... It just really seems it's not been prioritised by the ATP at all, has no.
0: it? No. No, it hasn't.
1: And, uh, yeah. On a brighter note, I think uh, another one last player I want to mention is British player Cam Nari. Um, he got through to the quarterfinals where he lost to... Oh, wait, sorry, no, he got through to the fourth round where he... Fourth round? Yeah, it must have been because he lost... Yeah, fourth round where he lost to Casper Ruud, um, but he moves into the top 10 for the first time in his career. So congratulations to Cam. That's a brilliant achievement. Um, it's the first time there's been a British player in the top 10 since October 2017 when Andy Murray dropped out. And actually the first time a new British player has um, moved into the top 10 since May 2007. So the first time in 15 years there's been a new British player in the world top 10. So congrats to Cam. Fully deserved. He's been on mental form the past six months or whatever so yeah it's great to see him there and um i guess we'll just have to see what sort of success he has in the clay court season coming up
0: and joe salisbury
1: world number one doubles
0: world number one yeah
1: yeah absolutely it's,
0: it's a great week for uh for british tennis actually even you know not technically not results wise but ranking wise
1: mm.
0: yeah it's it's great
1: um, I want to move on to a. Have you got any other players you wanted to go over before?
0: Um, no, I think I think I'm good. What about you?
1: No, I mean uh, I had a couple, I guess, discussion points. Um, I read a, a pretty interesting article in on the Eurosport website this week, um, and the headline was, "Does tennis." Men's tennis, in particular, have an anger issue. Um, you know, anyone who's been following the sport at all has seen multiple incidents recently um, of players losing their temper, of um, things going overboard. I mean, both of us know how much of an unbelievably infuriating sport tennis is. Oh, yeah. Um The mental tricks it plays on you, you know, it's just you out there on the court. And when things aren't going right, it's just, it's brutal. It really is. I mean, you know, from the recreational level, like we play all the way to, um, all the way to these elite players at at, at the very top of the game. I mean, we both have examples of losing our temper while playing. Definitely. Do you want to tell people the hat story?
0: The hat story. Oh, okay. He's, He's... He's bringing it out. Oh, right. I don't even have
1: to. Okay, all right, I'll bring. it I mean, it out. just just so people understand how frustrating tennis can be. Yeah, so, can so be. people
0: can understand. So um, it was it was actually one of my favourite hats, which makes it even worse. I don't know what the score was or what the stakes were, but I lost a very infuriating game slash point, and I ripped my hat up.
1: Yeah, big match at Stratford Park. Oh
0: uh, yeah, big big match, big match between me and Toby. No one watching. Probably had a match point. Probably missed it. And the hat was no more. And I have to say, the yeah, um, the
1: brim ripped straight from the rest of the fabric. It was actually, i don't think I've ever seen anyone do that before. To be fair,
0: yeah, yeah, it was code violation,
1: hat abuse. It
0: was, it was hat abuse. And I mean, to be fair, the amount of times my racket has looked at me and thought, "It's, it's not got long left." You know, it's yeah, it's close. I mean, I, I can, I can understand it purely because if I felt that way, then, then how does it feel? when there's thousands of people around you shouting screaming there's money on the line points reputation and i can see how it can boil over but i think that's when it comes that's what you know part and part and parcel of being a professional athlete
1: yeah i mean this article was read here by rob hemingway at eurosport um looked back at report by the new york times from 2018 which revealed the number of fines that have been handed out to Male and female players over the at Grand Slams over the last twenty years, so from nineteen ninety eight to twenty eighteen. Um, have, have you seen this article? No, I so I'd let's, love to hear the figures. Let's play. Should we play a little game? Um, can you guess how many fines were handed out for racket abuse at Grand Slams to men from nineteen ninety eight to twenty eighteen?
0: Is this how many separate? It's not total money. It's how no, no, many? Ha,
1: how many? How many total fines were handed out?
0: So what? How many? How many?
1: For racket abuse
0: between nineteen ninety eight and twenty eighteen. So what? Twenty years, eighty grand slams. Um, I don't know. Eight hundred.
1: Yeah, six hundred and forty six to men. How many to women? One
0: hundred thirty seven. Ninety nine. Six forty six to
1: ninety nine. Okay. Wow. Um, how about fines for audible obscenities? How many
0: to men? How many to men? Uh surely it's got to be more than racket smashes. Um maybe I don't know. Seven hundred?
1: Yeah, three hundred and forty four to men, how many to women?
0: Fifty-six.
1: Hundred and forty. Wow. Yeah, three four four to men, hundred and forty to women. What so about that's, that's
0: a lot closer then? No, but still, double, not really. There's oh,
1: still 200 difference there. Yeah. What about unsportsmanlike conduct? How many to men? How many to women?
0: Unsportsmanlike conduct. I know men 436,
1: 287 to men, and only 67 to women. Wow. So again, the disparity is pretty clear. Builds yeah, quite that's... a picture that in men's tennis, um, it's quite more it's quite obvious and quite clear that this is kind of more accepted um, or even if not accepted, just something that's seen a lot more. I mean, you don't even have to look back long this year to see a number of noticeable events where, you know, people's players' angers have gone over the top. I mean, I guess let's start with uh, Zarev in Acapulco. I mean, it's just...
0: That was horrible scenes.
1: It was brutal. You know, he he got through his first from singles game, beating Brooksby... uh, Third set tie-break in his second-round doubles game. Uh, He gets really upset with a call by the chair umpire. He gets called for verbal abuse, rightfully so. Um, And then I'm sure everyone's seen the clip. End of the game. Game's over, they lose. And he just goes and starts smacking the umpire's chair. Like, he nearly hits him on the leg. And it's just really disgraceful behaviour. And, you know, people were a bit unsure about Zerith before then. I mean, they're definitely not a fan fan anymore. I think it's just it's just gross and he only only got an eight week suspended um sentence for it. I think it's just stupid. I mean move forward to uh Indian Wales, another repeat offender, Nick Kyrgios. Yep. His game against the Doll, smashes the racket on the floor, um loses the game, smashes racket on the floor again and he very nearly hit a ball boy in the head with his racket. Um, then here at Miami, Jensen Brooksby, um, he actually hit a ball boy with his racket when he threw it into the ground after missing a serve. Um, not defaulted. Wasn't defaulted. I was very surprised about that. I mean, you know, intentions are neither here nor there. If you're going around hitting ball boys, a ball boy's job description isn't, uh, yeah, pick up the balls and just be wearing of flying rackets everywhere. Like they should not have to be worried about. These players smashing rackets into the floor and ricochet and hitting them is just not all right.
0: It's a racket as well. It's, it's a tennis racket. That would hurt. I think, you know, this is just another example of tennis not really doing itself any favours. Um, so we have obviously the, the example that everyone knows. US Open 2020, Djokovic hits a tennis ball into a line judge, gets defaulted. They're the rules. That's how it should happen. Why weren't the rules observed here? So that was one of the, you know, it, it, Djokovic was pretty much dead set to be going all the way at those at those championships, and what happened was, it was yeah, it wasn't great. It was bad. You know, it was another example of people getting too angry in tennis, um, the men specifically, but the the rules were officiated in in this. Why were they not? that was a much bigger match. It doesn't matter how big the match is. It doesn't matter if it's a uh, an ITF event for £500 prize money or a Grand Slam final.
1: Uh, I think even retrospectively, the ATP don't do enough. I've, I think these athletes don't care about getting fined, do no, they? Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's chump change to them. I mean, uh, Nick Carrios has had to foot a sizeable bill throughout the Sunshine Double, he was fined 25k at Indian Wells. He was fined 35k at Miami, and you know he he said, "I you know, I, I I don't care." It's just uh I think it doesn't seem to bother the ATP too much about this kind of this kind of anger and stuff shown on court. I mean, I think the sport was always kind of love those kind of, this bad boy characters. I mean, you know, think about John McEnroe back in the day. I mean. Yeah what do you reckon he's most known for to the average person? Do you think he's most known for all his Grand Slam wins or his outbursts? Yep. You know, people think John McEnroe. would probably think, oh, you know, you can't be serious. So yep. it's, you know, nowadays, um, the ATP tennis TV, they just love the content, don't they? You know, curiosity for Cine Controversy is one of their videos they posted this week. And they just, they just absolutely love it. They, they fetishize it really. It's, Fines don't do anything, and I don't think the ATP want to do too much more to kind of um, stop it because they love it as part of the game as well.
0: Well, because it gets more people watching as well. It, it honestly it, it does. But at what point do we you know call it a stop when it hits a child in the face?
1: Because it does seem to be escalating a bit this year, doesn't it? Like just from these past um, past few events and. You know what other approach could they take, do you think? I mean, I guess you could dock ranking points?
0: I think you actual, could spend them. Actual things that make a difference to what they care about. They care about ranking. They care I mean they don't really care about money as much because they just the the top players in the top probably fifty where they do make a an amazing living from it, um it's not really it doesn't really matter to them. I think the money um but I think yeah I think I think ranking points I think um and obviously bans so that they don't have the opportunity to defend points or gain points I think a a blanket ban would be the best one because ranking points they can't really officiate it or well, maybe really...
1: maybe a, if they offend at a certain tournament they should be banned from that tournament the following year yeah, that could be something they could implement. That, um, that would
0: be interesting. That would be interesting. I think. Or
1: they could rem- they could uh, on the topic of ranking points, they could just strike all the ranking points that you've earned that tournament if you do something to to a certain degree. But then I guess you also have to think a lot of these. I guess are quite subjective. Um, it's not really black and white. I guess you know, like I think that's probably why the Brooksby one was so kind of shocking because it was objective the fact that he hit someone with his racket. I mean, that you have to kind of rule on and the fact that the ATP didn't make a firmer stance on that, it just doesn't feel like anything's going to change anytime soon, don't no, you think?
0: I don't think so. I think it's, as, as we've said, it's probably because people don't really want it to as well. And I think with the Djokovic thing, I think maybe, I don't know, you can't think about it in the second that it's happening, but maybe a uh, they tried to make an example of him. To try and, you know, clamp down on this, but then when they don't, back it up. Back it up in the future. What's the point?
1: Exactly. Absolutely, mate. Um, another another discussion point I have here is I saw somewhere online throughout this tournament was the opinion that the Miami Open should be moved to a different date in the tennis calendar. Um, I think first, it's just want to point out. Um, the location was moved back in 2019. It was moved from Key Biscayne to the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Um, i got to say, I think it's a really cool location to, to hold that tournament. I think, um, you know, it's the home of the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. It hosts other big American football games like the college football playoffs. It's actually going to host the Miami Grand Prix in four weeks' time.
0: Wow, did not know that. Yeah. That's a nice little bit of uh, sports trivia. No,
1: I know and it's going to obviously host the Miami Open here and it's just um I think that it was a really cool venue for the tournaments to be held at. Um but in terms of the timing in the in, in the calendar, you know, I think you have to look at is it too close to the Indian Wells? Um in terms of think about the health of the players.
0: No, Sunshine
1: Double? No, Sunshine Double, but Think about how many kind of sort of retirements and injuries were kind of picked up this week. You know, you look mm. at um, Yannick Sinner had to retire with his foot blisters. Riley Opelka had to retire in the second round. Um, I think Norrie was pretty heavily impaired in his loss to Rude, pretty heavy strapping on his leg. Um, Medvedev now has to have surgery on yep. the back of on the back of this tournament. I'm not saying it was his tournament's fault, but again, it's not necessarily one tournament. It's the kind of um, the snowball effect of, of, of these big tournaments in, in successive weeks, um, which has led to him now be out for one to two months. On the women's side, um, Paul Bardoza had to retire due to illness. Um, Nadal pulled out before the tournament.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's his rib, rib injury.
1: Well, I mean, you, yeah, you know, but he, if, he if preemptively in, pulled out. If it was later in the year, he maybe could have played, I don't know. Um, I just think and then also you have to think about the time of year, March um, Miami Spring Break um, you know, so there's loads of stuff going on in Miami, you know, got all the concerts and, and people coming to stay so the hotels will be packed that has a knock on effect, it's going to be more expensive for fans coming to see Miami Open, maybe put some fans off coming to Miami for that time of year you know, the kind of mental Spring Break crowd going on and stuff and um, you also have to think of in, in America March March Madness college basketball that um, that demands a lot of attention in, in the national media and stuff like that which probably takes away a bit from people focusing on the tennis so yeah I mean I guess the arguments are there for it to be moved but you know I guess it's so you've got to fit so many tournaments into the calendar in a single year where are you going to move it to so
0: we'll see that's an interesting point of discussion though
1: um you got anything else to go over? I think we can...
0: So, I mean, new world number one, Igor Shriantek, absolutely crushing it. I mean, obviously we know Ash Barty, recent retirement, that's opened up the gates for um for Igor Sviantek, the best player in the world at the moment. And I think one sort of sad thing is that we're not going to be able to see that rivalry.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's big. But um, yeah, I think it's... Also, I think it's massive that she, you know, she won Sunshine Double. She's still so young. Yes, she's a Grand Slam champion and yes, she's the world number one now. But she 20? Just, 20 years old? I think so. I think so. Um, and you don't really raise an eyebrow at it. I think just because, also because Alcaraz is playing as well and you think, oh, 18, yeah, 20, like, fine, no big deal. It is, it is a big deal. It's a massive deal. And um, there were some great
1: matches. Um, she broke, some, against some, some crazy stats. And I watched that final against Naomi Osaka. And it was a close-ish first set. Um, but then she just ran away with it that second set. She just absolutely bulldozed Naomi Osaka and didn't give her a chance Bageled six love in that final set. I mean, looking back at her past six finals, A, she's won all of them, and B, she's only dropped 22 sets across six games. Six matches, sorry. So, you know, mental statistics. and How was she on? 22 games. 22 games Mm. across six matches. She's on a 17-match
0: winning streak going into the clay. And I think it's... um, Yeah, so she's the first woman ever to win... The first three Masters One Thousands events of the year, so Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami, and yeah, it's exciting because she can play on all surfaces. She got a Grand Slam on clay. Now she's got three Masters One Thousands in a row on hard. What can't she do? I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see, yeah, where where she's gonna go from here. Like, what winning streak can she conjure up going into probably her best surface?
1: Love to see um that run from Osaka this week as well. Good yeah. to see her back up in um back up in the finals and stuff and uh uh she was a serve for herself this week, wasn't she? Yeah, she was smashing it. I think her serves unmatched in the women's game if I'm honest. I don't think there's anyone else who's serving as well as she is. So uh great to see her back back up in in around there, but she just wasn't anything for see I just I
0: just don't you know, I think she she came up against players um, that she can beat after having, you know, some some time off and not the most consistent um, last year in terms of playing.
1: Um, well, she played, she beat Bencic in the semifinals, who she'd lost to on the past three occasions, and she beat Kerber in the second round who she'd lost to on the past four occasions so yeah she definitely overcame some hurdles and probably some mental battles this week in terms of the players she was beating
0: yeah no definitely and I think I think she probably needed that for herself as well because she knows she's capable of it she knows she is and we we know she is she's an amazing player and it's it is really good to see because she seemed really um sort of happy and relieved I think in the um in the in the speech in the trophy ceremony, I think she was just kind of glad to be out there, and yeah, I I just I really I really hope we can see her back, back up at the top of her playing levels when she's you know, defending U.S. and Australian Open champion, and it's gonna be interesting to see what she can do on the other surfaces because she's an absolute beast mm. on the hard court. So I uh, yeah it's. I'm looking forward to it and I, I really hope she can sort of carry on, get her ranking back up and just um yeah, get back to where she was before.
1: Another tough week for Emma Raducanu, wasn't it? Yeah. Um lost yes. her opening game there in the second round to the uh to the Czech. Um Katerina
0: Siniakova That's the one.
1: I just have no ability to pronounce all these um, <laughs> Eastern European names. That's probably why I can't follow the women's game. It's, uh, got...
0: it's good practice.
1: Yeah, you, your pronunciation, mate, is absolutely mental.
0: We can, we can, we can embarrass ourselves on here and find oh. fi- and find out how to pronounce it. You'll through.
1: embarrass me, mate. Honestly, you just know <laughs> so many more than I do. But it's just, I don't know. It's tough for Emma. I still have faith, and she's. You know, she's been on the tour for less. You know, this time last year, she was tweeting about A levels and mm-hmm. and just just wasn't even. Was was no was nowhere near um, someone who was playing all these big tournaments and playing the slams and stuff. So, I think you just have to. Um, I think you just have to have patience, and then she's getting slagged off in the media. You know, just saying she's more focused on all these sponsors than. Them playing tennis, but I mean, uh, you know, I know that's not true. And um, I think the wins will come. I think it's just the grind of the tour is, is, is tough on, on someone who's so young and inexperienced. And, you know, you have to get these games and these tournaments under your belt. And, you know, the only you, way is up, really.
0: You just got to give her time. And also, I think what it makes me think the way that she won that US Open, she she did it from qualifying without losing a set. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It it was crazy. Like and I think since then she's had quite a lot of, you know, a lot of tight matches, a lot of three setters, and I think when she starts coming through more of those, knowing that she can win personally herself in more ways than just bulldozing the field, I think she'll get some confidence from that and she'll be
1: just fine. I think I think it's just a case of her personal brand grew at such a astronomical rate it's like it's unfair to expect a tennis to to follow it you know like you know, the grand slam champion sports personality of the year all these endorsement deals um yeah it's gonna come i've got faith and i'm um, i really enjoy watching watching her tennis and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to watching watching more of it to come
0: i mean she became a household name
1: overnight well that's the thing you know if you go if you do, go you go Asked on the street, not even in the UK, just in general. You know, name three women current uh, female tennis players. You know, a lot of them would probably like the three top women women's tennis players. A lot of them would probably say Emma Raducanu is definitely above um, Iga Swiatek. Yeah. You know, it's just the fact that her her personal brand and like you say, the fact that she's a household name now. It's just grown so quickly. Um, I mean,
0: for me personally, last year the day before the US Open final, I think, yeah, I, I was I was at work and I was, you know, just sort of chatting with people like, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? And, you know, just a middle-aged bloke, just like, oh yeah, I'm watching Emirado Cano in the final. I'm like, this guy would, have no idea who this person was two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, most likely, and I saw people like saying a name and everything like that, and it's just like, it's kind of amazing, but like, 18 years old. 18 years old. I mean, yeah, she got to, she got to the fourth round at Wimbledon that year. And in in itself, that's an amazing feat at that age. But second week, yeah, yeah, just yeah, it's crazy, and she'll she'll get there, she'll get there, and I can't wait to see it.
1: Anything else you want to go over? Any other any other business? Mm
0: -mm. Carlos Alcaraz.
1: Carlos Alcaraz. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, he's he's. Um,
0: I I think I'm just I'm just gonna say it. Predictions wise, um, what do we think is happening with Carlos Alcaraz's year?
1: Is he going to win a slam?
0: Oh, he's he's going out there. He's he's going big.
1: I I don't I don't think he's going to win a slam.
0: U.S. Open. You, he's going to win the U.S. Open. Is, I, I, I I think um, whenever I look back at um, you know players' seasons, I look back at um, you know Djokovic and Nadal, Federer, Nadal's breakout season, two thousand and five. 11 titles, just absolutely crushing it. Wins the French, wins absolutely everything in sight. I can see him winning, I mean, he's already won three titles. Two titles, two titles this year.
1: I think he's only won two titles. Two
0: titles this year, three titles total. He's already won two titles this year. Rio. Rio as well. I mean, I think he can go and win seven, eight titles total this year. Wow. Another couple of Masters, Grand Slam. You go, Carlos. You go. Don't prove me wrong.
1: Just before we uh, wrap up this Miami episode, um, who did you have winning Miami again in your predictions?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. I see where this is going. Uh, Carlos, no. um, So I think it was, was it Matteo Berrettini?
1: I think you had Berrettini, yeah. I
0: think it was, yeah. I think it was, and he he withdrew before start of play. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a good start. <laughs> yeah, that was not my not my finest moment in predictions. Oh, but how are we are are going to know? Who did you know? You have,
1: so I had. Um, I think I I boringly picked Medvedev. I thought he was going to come back with uh, with a vengeance. Something um, to prove. Yeah, um, I mean he did he slightly better than me. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Oh god. Yeah. We've got a whole year to go.
1: They'll get better, surely. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, um... So, yeah, that'll probably be it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, if you've made it this far. Um... Uh, hope you've enjoyed it.
0: Thanks, guys. It was a good, fun first episode. And I promise my voice will be better in the others.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Busy weekend. Uh, but, um... We'll be back next week. Next week? Next week, with another tennis episode. There's lots of big tournaments coming up. We're looking forward to it. Um... We hope you are too. Um, Thank you for listening to the Line Call podcast. Here we go. Bye.